0: All right, well, turn with me, please, this evening to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at the last verses of of this chapter that finishes out this contrast between old and new that we began to explore last time. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3, again, a longer discussion that Paul will give here on the nature of the covenants and how that works out in history and salvation. And we'll look at that in order to understand well how does the Bible work together, how do we put the puzzle pieces together. But we'll also look to it trusting that God will give us some insight into how we can best live before him and and live by the Spirit. So let's look tonight at 2 Corinthians 3 and let me read verses 7 through 18. Now, if the ministry that brought death which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who had put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amen. We'll end our reading there. Let's ask for God's help. Father in heaven, again, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and thank you for the Spirit of God whom we considered this morning and now again tonight here in 2 Corinthians. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom and we long tonight to see your glory and as we contemplate your glory, we will be transformed into your image. So do that for us, that is what we need in order to live lives as your people in our homes, and our workplace, and the church, in society. Lord, help us to bear that image. And may others see with unveiled faces as well your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The verses we read come in the middle of Paul's discussion of the marks of an authentic ministry. How do you know an authentic ministry and minister when you find one? Well, Paul gives us qualifications we can use to answer that question. And when we first looked at this passage a few weeks ago, we began to look at Paul's contrast of God's work under the old covenant with Moses and his work now through the new covenant inaugurated by Christ and brought forward or or applied, we might say, by the work of the Spirit. You have... Covenant is how God relates to people. He enters into covenants with them. He made a covenant with Israel there when they were led by Moses. He gave them his laws, and he governed their lives. And there was good there, that the good news could be seen in that covenant. And yet, as we'll also consider tonight, there were laws and warnings of death and a ministry that brought condemnation. Christ comes along and at the Last Supper inaugurates the New Covenant. And the point isn't to say, all right, forget about everything you've seen before, throw it away, but rather to say what God was doing there is now coming to completion. He's now accomplishing what was promised, and he's now going to apply what was anticipated, and it's going to go forward in a wonderful, full, and powerful way by the Spirit. And Paul's point in this passage is to say that is the kind of ministry We are undertaking with you. How do you know you have an authentic ministry in your midst? Because the ministers will have confidence not in themselves but in God. Their confidence will not arise from any skills or ingenuity or anything else that they have in and of themselves but in God working by his spirit. So that's the idea that lays the groundwork last time as we began to look at ministers of the New Covenant. So I want to take the next step tonight and look at verses 7 through 18 and get the second idea that further develops Paul's presentation of this New Covenant ministry. So our thought tonight is this. Authentic ministers have confidence in the power of the Spirit working through the New Covenant. And that's similar to the thought I just gave you, but it's slightly more specific because that's what Paul's doing here. He lays a foundation and then he gives you the details. So the confidence tonight is not only in God, but specifically through the power of the Spirit working through the new covenant. So let's look at this contrast that Paul develops and explore it in some detail tonight. He introduced it at the end of verse 6 when he compared the letter that kills with the Spirit that gives life. And the Apostle Paul, he's now ready to show that his ministry manifests the very presence of God, that it is superior to any ministry that operates apart from God's Spirit. And if the old covenant ministry through Moses was authentic, and Paul will say that, it was legit, how much more authentic is the greater ministry through the new covenant? So Paul begins in verses 7 through 8. He's going to argue from the lesser To the greater. Here's the first part of that contrast. If the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory... So that the Israelites could look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, and dot, dot, dot. This is the first part of the argument. It's like when Jesus says, look, you are evil and know how to give gifts to your kids. Well, how much more will your heavenly Father give to you? So this is that first if part. If that ministry is glorious. And that's what Paul says. The ministry that Moses performed under the old covenant was glorious. And notice, by the way, Paul focuses on the ministry that Moses performed. So, not just contrasting the covenants, but contrasting the ministries that result from them. Well, Paul associates the ministry under Moses with death. And we might think of the fact that, you know, death was the warning for anyone who. Cross the boundaries there at Mount Sinai. Remember when God came down on the mountain, they erected those boundaries, and if anyone crossed them, including an animal, they were to be put to death. We might think of the places, many places in the Old Testament, where people died when they transgressed the law. Whatever the connection might be, you cannot deny the strong presence of death when you read the record of Israel's life under the law. But despite that association with death, the Old Covenant still came with glory. And so while you do read a lot about death in the Old Testament, we also frequently encounter the glory of God, the visible presence of God, the mighty saving acts of God. That is God's glory. In fact, Paul refers to one specific manifestation of God's glory in verse 7. After Moses smashed the first tablets of the covenant, you remember this story? You have the golden calf incident. Moses comes down, he smashes the tablets that he's just received. Well, God then gives him a second set. And when Moses comes out of that second encounter, his face shines with the glory of God. In fact, let me read you a portion of that story from Exodus 34. Paul refers to this several times in our passage, so let's hear the details. It's about six verses. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. "'Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, "'and he gave them all the commands "'the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. "'When Moses finished speaking to them, "'he put a veil over his face. "'But whenever he entered the Lord's presence "'to speak with him, "'he removed the veil until he came out. "'And when he came out and told the Israelites "'what he had been commanded, "'they saw that his face was radiant. "'Then Moses would put the veil back over his face,' until he went in to speak with the Lord. So God reveals himself to Moses. And when Moses comes out of God's presence, his face is radiant. And he delivers God's commandments to the Israelites and then veils his face. And Moses would remove the veil when God spoke to him and he'd put it back on after he left God's presence and told the Israelites what God said, he would put the veil back on. Now, The Exodus passage doesn't tell us why Moses veiled his face. We might assume that it was because the sight was too dazzling to behold. We might think, based on a comment that Paul makes here in 2 Corinthians, that Moses veiled his face so the Israelites couldn't see that the glory was fading. And I'll say something about that in just a moment. It's not that either of those are necessarily wrong. It's just what I want to do is just stick with the main point that Paul makes from this Old Testament story. And what the passage simply says is that Moses covered his face because it was glowing. And because he covered his face, the people could not continue to gaze at the sight. That's the main point. That, in other words, I'd put it like this, Moses covering his face interrupts their experience of God's glory. And it's that idea of interruption that Paul picks up on when he tells us that the glory on Moses' face was transitory. Now again, that's the language that makes something, okay, it must have been that the glory was fading and so when Moses went into God's presence, it would be renewed and would then fade again. Again, that's possible. But some have suggested that the phrase transitory just means make inoperative. In other words, the Israelites couldn't keep gazing at Moses' face because he would cover the glory, it would make it inoperative, it would interrupt it. That's what happened when Moses covered his face. His face shone but then it was hidden. It was rendered inoperative because he covered it up. Now the point of that, why Paul seems to think it's a big deal that it was interrupted, that will emerge as Paul continues his contrast. For now, the point of verse 7 is just to say the old covenant ministry was glorious. Moses comes out of God's presence and his face is shining. And that's why Paul asks in verse 8 if that ministry was glorious, how much more or will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? What happened through Moses was great, but what happens through Christ in the Spirit is even greater. And as Paul goes on, he'll show why that is. Why is this new covenant ministry more glorious? So let's keep following his train of thought. Paul asks this question in verse 9. If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? Again, Paul associates here the Old Covenant with death, this time using the word condemnation. The Old Covenant contained a host of laws, and they were attended with penalties for disobedience. But contrast that with the ministry of the New Covenant, which provides righteousness. It's grounded in the finished work of Christ. So the Old Covenant brings glory, but it also brings condemnation. The New Covenant brings righteousness and is therefore more glorious. In fact, so glorious is the New Covenant that it outshines the Old Covenant. and It makes it seem as if... The Old Covenant had no glory at all. It's much like sometimes on a full moon, you can really see a lot by the light of the moon. It's surprising how much you can see. So why pre-moderns hunted at times by the light of a full moon. But when the sun is up, the moon does not shine. Sometimes you can still see the moon during the day, but it's not shining. The sun outstrips it in glory. Verse 10 reads, For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. What was once glorious no longer has glory. So Moses saw God and his face shone in the Old Testament. But according to verse 18, this is where Paul is going, we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. And so Paul concludes this first contrast between the old and the new with this statement in verse 11. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Moses' glory was transitory, that is, it was interrupted. He had to cover his face and interrupt the glory. And so Paul reasons that the ministry of the Old Covenant, and the Old Covenant as a whole, it was transitory. It would only last for a certain amount of time. So notice that Paul is arguing from, from effect. If the Old Covenant kills and is transitory, then it pales in comparison with that which brings righteousness and greater glory, and thus lasts Forever. And again, where is he going with all this? Who has that kind of ministry? Paul does. And so you know an authentic minister because they have confidence and competence by the power of the Spirit. The Spirit makes them competent, and then their confidence is in the power of of the Spirit, So they, they don't have to finagle things. They don't have to twist people's arms. They don't have to come down heavy with condemnation and guilt. They know that the power of the Spirit will work through hearts and transform people. That's where Paul's going. But he's not quite done with this point. So let's look at this other extended contrast in verses 12 through 18. He begins in verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, We are very bold. We've got a great New Covenant ministry, and it gives Paul hope. Why? Because, as one author puts it, it rests on the ongoing and developing work of God in the world, which is carried out by the New Covenant power of the Spirit. You see, when God is at work, then Paul can rest in that. He can be open or he can be bold. He, he's unlike Moses. Moses had to veil himself. He was closed, but Paul can be open, bold, frank with the Corinthians for their good. The thought continues in verse 13. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. The Israelites' experience of God's glory on the face of Moses was interrupted. It couldn't be sustained because Moses repeatedly veiled himself. Now again, this sounds like Paul is saying that Moses covered his face because the glory was fading. Like he didn't want them to see that, so he covered his face. Again, that that could be true. I don't have a problem with that. The only problem is Exodus never explicitly says that. So I'm just trying to keep the focus on Paul's main point. And his point could simply be this. Moses covered his face so that the Israelites could not see the glory of God. The veil would render the glory inoperative. And so they couldn't see the outcome or the end of Moses being in God's presence. The veil limits the experience of Of God's glory. That's the simple point. And that then allows Paul to use the veil now as a complex image for the experience of those who do not yet participate in salvation. Those who don't experience new covenant salvation, well, they themselves are veiled. So look at verses 14 and 15. But their minds were made dull. For to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. Paul's getting a little tricky here. And, and if his if his meaning is a little dense, that, that's okay. The people go round and round and round trying to make sense of this passage. But again, here here's your big idea. Moses had a veil on his face. And that kept people from seeing the glory of God. And Paul is saying, you know, that experience is still going on today, so to speak. When the Old Covenant is read, there's a veil on people's hearts. And again, what does the veil do? It keeps you from seeing the glory of God. So some people have a veil on their hearts. And it keeps them from seeing the glory of Christ. It keeps them from the gospel. And that failure to embrace the gospel keeps them from experiencing the presence of God. Again, when Moses would put the veil on his face, the people couldn't fully experience the presence of God like Moses did. And the whole point, by the way, of God making covenants with people is so that they will experience his presence, so that they will experience his glory, so that they'll experience his forgiveness, so they'll have a relationship with him. God was doing that in the old covenant, but it was interrupted. Now, Paul says, we have a more powerful covenant that can overcome those limitations. So when the veil still lays on their hearts, the solution then is for people to embrace the gospel so that they may experience the presence of God. And Paul states this in verse 16. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. God removed the veil from Paul's eyes on the road to Damascus. We'll read in the next chapter when we come to it. God who said, let there be light, can shine his light into our darkened hearts. And the veil imagery is still working there. When God's ready to speak, light can break through that veil so that people can see. So what Paul now does is he labors as a new covenant minister so that others may see the glory of God. He doesn't want them to be seeing through a veil. He doesn't want a veil on their hearts. He wants God's light to shine through that. And so he uses the only tool he has, the proclamation of the gospel, the new covenant ministry and the power of the Spirit. So I know that's a complex conversation, but do you see Paul's big point? His ministry affects the kind of change in people that must take place in order for them to see, and that's how you know it's authentic. And by implication, the false teachers don't effect that kind of change. They don't use New Covenant ministry. They don't use the Spirit's power. And so they have a ministry of death like the Old Covenant. And the Corinthians should not follow such a ministry or a message. And you should always have your radar on, your spidey sense up, for anyone who has that kind of message and ministry and don't follow it. And Paul makes that point explicit then in the closing verses. Verse 17 reads, Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That Lord who is revealing himself to Moses on the mountain, that's the one true God. He reveals himself by means of the spirit. The spirit gives a true relationship, an open relationship with God where there's freedom, no veil of separation. And the result of that freedom that now shines more clearly in the new covenant, the way that freedom shows up is spiritual transformation. Verse 18, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What Moses experienced, we all experience. And what was interrupted for the Israelites because of a veil is not interrupted for us. We have unveiled faces. And the result of being able to contemplate the Lord's glory, to experience his presence, to gaze upon his image by faith, to spend time before him and in his word and in all those tools. What's the result of that? Being changed into his image. His glory shines on us and we are transformed into his image. No veil between us and God and time in his presence and time with his tools is well spent. I mean, this is your whole restoration of humanity language. We're transformed into his image. What what God gave Adam and Eve that was marred by the fall that's being restored fully in the last days. It's happening right now through believers contemplating the glory of the Lord. So I think we can conclude with that kind of application. I would just encourage you to cultivate a love for the presence of God. to, To long to and to seek out, to experience God. The the NIV uses a language here of contemplate, so thinking about God's truth, thinking about God's glory. We often speak of prayer as a way of experiencing God's presence, gathering with God's people. In other ways, using the tools God's given you to seek his presence and to spend time in that presence, cultivate a love for that and to seek that out and, and to seek it out until it becomes real and powerful and transformative. Furthermore, then, to love that process of transformation. To long to be more like the Savior and in his image and to seek that diligently. To have hope in the power of the Spirit. Maybe that's for you, something nagging that continually uh, aggravates you spiritually. To have hope in the power of the Spirit to prevail. Maybe it's for others, someone in your family or friends, where there's an issue and you long to see it change. To trust in the power of the Spirit. And to ask God by his Spirit to work powerfully uh, in that person. To love teaching. Uh, Again, that focuses on the work of the Spirit by grace. And to seek to know God and to experience these realities. That's a great gift we've been given. So let's ask for God to be at work in us. Pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you again for tearing the veil as Christ... Flesh was torn. So the curtain into the Holy of Holies was torn. So there would no longer need to be a veil placed on anyone's face, but that we all could have direct access to you. And Lord, it's a call to faith. Again, the idea that seeing a shining face seems more real and powerful to us than here closing our eyes and seeking you in prayer or using your tools. But you describe this as a great blessing. So help us to embrace that truth by faith, and to follow you. Spirit of God, be at work in us. We, we need the Spirit's help and transformation in our lives. We long to see the Spirit at work in this ministry or in families or in your work in the world. So we beg of you that by your grace, you would so do the things that you've promised to do here. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's sing in closing then. Hymn 501. Just as I am, maybe you're used to hearing this from uh, evangelistic services once upon a time, but uh, just as I am, hymn 501, we, we sing it before God, asking Him to transform us. So let's sing verses 1, 4, and 5. 1, 4, and 5, 501. Stand with me, please.